Well, good morning. You all look great. Thank you, those that are joining online, for inviting us into your homes. And uh, I, I just pray God's blessings upon you today. When you came in, you got a bulletin, and you have your outline there. You'll see where we're going to go in just a moment as we continue in our series called The One and Others. Uh, we started this series a couple weeks ago, and we're talking about the one and others. We first of all talked about edifying one another, then we talked about <coughs> serving one another. And last week, you were all given some homework, if you will, uh, a challenge. And so my question is, don't raise your hand, don't head nod, you don't need to do any of that. But did you get a chance to serve somebody? Uh, serve them unnoticed, with no kudos, uh, anything, no strings attached. That was the challenge last week. So uh, if you weren't here last week, here's the good news, you can still do it. If you didn't do it last week, here's the good news, you can still do it. Uh, here's the even better news, even if you did it, you can keep on doing it, right? Because it's as we serve, we cultivate that kind of a heart. Now, if this is your uh, first time, if you're new, we'd love to get to know you. There is a part in the bulletin where you can tear that little corner off. You can write down your name, your information, you can tear that off, drop it in the offering plates on your way out. Uh, or if you've got a prayer request that we can be praying with you about, fill that out. Let us know, and we will be praying with you. You can drop those also in the offering plate, uh, and obviously it's there for your offering as well as you leave here today. Now, today what I want to talk to you about is encouraging one another. Is there anybody here that would say, I do not like to be encouraged? Well, chances are no. And if you say yes, there's something odd there, So, because everybody likes to be encouraged, don't they? Everybody likes to have something spoken to them that builds them up and lifts them up. So uh, my question, though, is, is not do necessarily just do we want to be encouraged, but how are we doing as an encouraging people? And, and that's what we're going to talk about today, because the Bible talks to us about different things, the one another's, and one of them is encouraging one another. Now, the first week was edify, and they can be very similar, edify, encourage. They're kind of the same, aren't they? Well, yes and no. They're like cousins, you know, in a way. There, there's, some, there's some crossover, but edifying is about intentionally building somebody up in, in the act of doing that, where encouraging is, is, is looking specifically, whether it's, it's more specifically about using our words in ways that we can lift one another up. And it's so important. We're going to look in just a moment in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 19. You can see that in your outlines. And then somewhere towards the end of the message, I'm going to jump over to Romans 15 and just pull something there as well. Uh, when we are not encouraged, I mean, the opposite is discouragement. When we become discouraged, it can lead to depression, which can lead to despair and a feeling that all hope is lost. And it can lead us to a place where we want to just give up and th uh, throw in the towel. We want to, we're, we're done, you know, and we want to end things. And that can be such a lonely place. Uh, but yet a very real one as well. It was in 1920, uh, 1929, actually on October 24th, that the stock market crashed. And when it crashed, we all remember our history books, that it led to the Great Depression. And when it hit, lives were turned upside down. Uh, 37,000 businesses went belly up. Unemployment zoomed to 24% nationwide. 18 out of 100,000 people would commit suicide. Divorce went through the roof. Uh, people were living in desperation because they were under the Great Depression. Now, fast forward to today. Many of us are maybe facing similar feelings. They say, okay, the, the stock market didn't crash and things aren't necessarily feeling as heavy as that, but yet there's this Great Depression that we feel. Uh, we're living under this weight of discouragement, this weight 
of disappointment. And if you and I were to tell our stories, they might eventually sound similar or the same coming to the conclusion that life is not fair. You ever feel that way? Uh, or maybe you know somebody who said those same words. Life just isn't fair. You know, uh, the relationship went sour. Uh, the children, you know, it, it's, gone, it's gone crazy. We're not able to overcome. My career is breaking down and we feel that life hasn't been fair to us. And it can become very discouraging. And so that's why we're going to learn today what it means to encourage one another. But we're also going to take a look at the importance of, of encouraging ourselves in the Lord. Because that's the only place you can really find true encouragement, isn't it? How many of you found encouragement in the world? Well, it's hit and miss, isn't it? But the truth is, is that when you, when you draw near to God, he will always encourage your heart. Because this world is, is going to lead us to a place where we can face these struggles and we could go on and on, I'm sure today, that this room is filled with stories of people that have been dealing with discouragement in their life. You're undergoing your own great depression in a way. And what happens is, is people just want to stay in bed. They want to use tools to escape. Escapism becomes a real thing. They're, they're, they're just feeling like they're living in the midst of their own depre great depression. But here is something that if that's you, you need to know this. If you're feeling that way, you need to know this. You are not alone. You are not alone. Every one of us, I remember when I felt discouraged, I felt like it was just the whole world was going to end. It was just me and, and I couldn't understand anybody else. But yet that didn't stop the fact that somebody else in their world, what was real to them, they were feeling really discouraged. You know, you and, you're not alone in this thing. The Bible, by the way, is full of men and women who were discouraged. Job in the Bible, get this, here's what Job said. Better is the day of my death than the day of my birth. That's really encouraging, isn't it? I mean, put that on the tombstone. And, and, and I get it, you know, because the day we're not here, we're with him. But Job was saying that because he was so distraught. He was so discouraged. Uh, Jonah asked God to kill him because he was so depressed and discouraged. Moses wandered tending sheep for 40 years when he was raised, uh, raised to be Pharaoh. Paul said, I'm down to the point where he said, of death, I just want to die. These are great men and there's women in the Bible that had these discouraging moments and we have ours as well, don't we? I mean, if we're all honest and transparent. So even the great names of the Bible had to battle with discouragement. They had to battle with depression. Even David in the book of Psalms, he said, oh my soul, why are you so disturbed within me? He was experiencing discouragement. So discouragement, which can often lead to depression, and then when depression sets in, can get a vice grip, it can lead to despair. We have to know what the Word of God says. We have to know what we've been created, even if you're not there right now feeling that despair. You may know somebody who is, or if I can just put it this way, just keep on living life because it comes around from time to time. And we have to know what the Word of God says. This is a reality. That sometimes we find ourselves in seasons where we feel like we're living under a cloud or there's this fog of discouragement. I mean, think about it. Have you, have you ever had a bad day? Anybody here? No? Nobody? A bad week? A bad month? A ba you know, and it's like, oh man, there's just this heaviness. I can't do anything right or anything I try to do falls apart. And you just become discouraged. And about the time you're going to give up hope, you feel like you see a light at the end of the tunnel only to discover it's a train heading right at you. And everything gets worse. You just feel so discouraged. 
You know, even when something good does happen, you know, you're expecting it to be like a, uh, ta-da, fireworks going off, and all it does is it's like a little firecracker, pop. And that's about it. And so it sets in, and it's, it's, a, it's a real thing. And, but we have to know what the Word of God says because that's the only thing that's going to lift us up and out of that. So to live life is to face this reality, reality of discouragement. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR, back in the 1920s during the Depression, in order to come up with a way to deal with the Depression, he came up with a, what he termed the New Deal. He called it the New Deal, an attempt to bring people out of this horrific place of death and despair and depression. So he created the New Deal. For all of those that are discouraged this morning, you're watching on TV, you're discouraged this morning, God has come up with a new covenant. He has got a new deal for you and for me. And he wants to talk to you and me today from his word so that we can know how to manage life until change comes. Because here's the reality. When you're going through seasons in life that are difficult, I can't tell you when the change is going to come, because I don't know. I, I don't know when that's going to be, but I can tell you how to make it until change comes because of what the Word of God says. Um, the book of Hebrews, let me take, some, take a moment, go back to that. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16, it says this. Hebrews is speaking to a group of people. He says, therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from all evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but here it is, but encouraging one another, he says, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I don't know about you, but every, every day I turn on the news or just look at life, it seems like the day is drawing nearer. And he says, as it draws nearer, we should be encouraging all the more. We should be at this place. The author of Hebrews it wrote this book. Um, by the way, the this is my opinion, okay? I guess that's all I, I can say, but I think Hebrews is the second most difficult book to understand for me. Um, the first is, can you guess? Revelation, right? Now, I know there's other books like Leviticus. You know, what's up with that, man? I don't know. You can talk to Jesus about it when you get to heaven. But making sense of Hebrew, uh, Hebrews is difficult. The book, though, what I can tell you, was written to a people who were giving up. That's, that's why Hebrews was written. And it was written to Jewish Christians who were throwing in the towel. They're quitting. They can't take it anymore. Following Christ is too hard. They're losing their friends, losing their property. Their world is shattered. So they're saying, ultimately, let me go back to where I came from. Because at least I know what I'm dealing with. And I can handle that. And Hebrews writes to them to say, don't go back. How many of you would like to go back to being a kid again? Now, it's kind of a toss-up because I've heard people say, I'd love to do it, and I've heard others say, I don't want to go relive that again. 
And I get it because you're going back to the memories. But I remember thinking, man, I wish I could go back to 14, 15, 16. Not that I really, because I remember being that age and all I wanted to do was get out of the house, grow up and make my own big boy decisions. And then when I became a big boy, I wanted to go back and be 13 again. But what I, what I wanted was is I didn't want to have bills. Anyone say amen to that one? I didn't want to have insurance. I didn't want to worry about mortgage. I didn't, all I wanted to worry about was sleeping, waking up, watching TV, eating free food that came out of the fridge miraculously, and doing my thing. Here's a group of Christians who have chose to live for Jesus, and life is getting difficult. We can all identify with that. But they're at a point of wanting to give up, quit, throw in the towel. And so Hebrews writes and says, don't do that. Don't stop. Don't turn around. Don't quit. Um, but if truth be told, these people were saying, this, this just isn't working. This Jesus thing isn't working. It doesn't seem right. Uh, you know, I, I'm doing everything I can. But what they're ultimately saying is this. They're saying, I'm not seeing the payoff to my faith. I'm not seeing the payoff to the commitment that I'm making in Christ. I'm not seeing that turn around. I, I, there's a part of me that just says that, you know what? God, church, you know, but I want to do my own thing. I want to go back to what I know. I want to go back to what's comfortable. And the sad news is, is there's many people that do that day after day after day, but Hebrews tells them, he says, don't do it, don't quit, don't give up, don't turn around. If you're thinking that today, that, that mindset at all today, you are the one that the book of Hebrews is writing to. That's you. Now, if that is you, it's not like, oh my gosh, he's calling me out. This has been me at seasons in my life. When I wanted to quit, give up, throw in the towel. And it's written to me as well. But it's for those that are tired, for those that are weary, for those that are struggling, whether that means physically, emotionally, spiritually, you're struggling. And Hebrews writes to say, don't give up, don't regress, because the payoff is worth it that faith in Christ. The author writes after telling them over and over again about the fact that Jesus is better and he's worth it. Uh, he tells them that he's also, Jesus has made a, an arrangement. He's made a covenant, a new agreement. He said in verse 16, this is the covenant that I will make with them. He, you see, God gives us a promise. God has a new agreement with you and with me that he says he will cover you. And a covenant is simply this. It's a covering by the Son of God if you're operating under the rule of God, son or daughter. Covenant is a covering by the Son of God for all of us as children of God if we are operating under the rule of God. So this covenant, what's, what is it I need to understand? What is it I need to know? I want to give you five keys that come right out of the Word of God that you and I can use today. And I, I, I know every week, probably every week I... I I'm kind of intentionally making it a habit to give you a challenge or to give you some homework because what good is it to hear what God has to say and never be challenged to go home and do something with it, right? Uh, we say we want our light to shine. We want to become sharper. Well, we've got to do something about it. Last week, you know, I challenged you with serving. This week, I'll be challenging you eventually to encourage somebody. But I want us to learn about it first. What are these keys that we need to know? Here's key number one. When you feel discouraged, Write down number one, boldly enter into his presence. Boldly enter in to his presence. He wants you and me that when we feel discouraged to boldly come into his presence. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Hebrews chapter uh, 10 verse 19 said, 
Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence, it says. That's the boldness he's talking about. Your confidence that's found in Christ. He's saying, don't go back. He said, instead of going back, go forward. Let there be something that rises up with inside of you, a holy boldness, if you will. Um, I, I am, uh, as, a, as a kind of a personality or a character or a temperament of me, am uh, non-confrontational. I don't, like, I don't like confrontation, okay? Doesn't mean I can't do it. Doesn't mean I won't do it. It just means that if somebody else here is better at it and loves it, knock yourself out. But if nobody else is going to do it and it needs to be done, then I'll do it. All right? So some people here, you know, like me, don't like confrontation, peace at all costs. Let's just all, come on, let's just all get along. Calm down, it's all right. No need to raise your voice. It's not going to accomplish anything. Let's get to the heart of this. That, that's, that's me. Now then there's others that love confrontation. And I know who you are right now because you're smiling. You're like, yeah, bring it on. You know, I'll give you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And you can do it with love. But some like confrontation, some don't. Well, I'm one of those that don't. But if it needs to be done, I'll take care of it. And I remember about the age of 14 or 15, you ever have to deal with a bully in your life? You know, people that are, can handle confrontation better than me, they, they don't have a problem with that. Uh, people don't bully them because they stand up. But, but bullies go after some that, that, that don't like to do that. And my friend was being picked on by, um, uh, just in case he's watching, we'll call him Felipe, Okay. Uh, Felipe was not a very nice person. And we'll just make sure that Felipe would be like, you talking about me or somebody else? Well, you don't know now, do you? And, uh, but Felipe was picking on my friend and, and kind of shoving him around and giving him a hard time. I'm non-confrontational, but I can't stand a bully. I don't like bullies. I, I don't like unjustness. I don't like unfairness. I don't, you know, all that stuff. And so when he is right in the back in the fellowship hall area, remember I'm 15, so that puts me right around 1985, and um, I'm back there, and he's messing with him. And I walk up to him, and I had had enough. And I said, hey, why don't you leave him alone? And as soon as I did that, you ever do something? And in your head, like your actions are doing this, but your head's going, what are you doing? And I started freaking out on the inside, right? Because this dude was like two times as big, as, taller. He's taller than me and bigger than me. And here I am, 15, you know, weighing in at 101 pounds, standing at five foot six. You know, I got the, the, the biceps of a spaghetti noodle at that, that point. You know, but now, no, I'm just kidding. And I walk up to him and I said, hey, why don't you leave him alone? And I thought, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And he just, you know, went back a little bit and he just grinned at me. I'm like, why you got to pick on him? Leave him alone. And my mouth just started going. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, you're digging your grave with your tongue, Jim. And then I said, you want to fight somebody? You can fight me. Let's go outside. And I'm like, where are we going with this? You know, and I walk outside and he walks outside with me. And I thought, here we go name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm getting ready to go down. And he looks at me and he's just grinning. And I was mad. I was ready to go too. I knew I was going to lose, but I was going to go down fighting, right? And uh, he goes, I'm not going to fight you. He goes, you guys are fine. And he just walked away. Now, that took care of it. The bully just needed somebody to stand up to him. But what I wanted you to capture in that story was this, that boldness that just, boom, came up. He says, grab that kind of a boldness that says, I know that I only am who I am by the grace of God. I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I know I've made mistakes and I've really screwed things up, but I boldly come into the presence of God because this is what I need right now. He said, that's what you do. If you want to be encouraged, 
Be an encourager, by the way. If you want something out of life, be the thing that it is that you want. I wish somebody had encouraged me. Well, why don't you go start encouraging somebody and watch what will happen. He says, boldly come into the presence of God and watch what God will do because you and I have complete access to the throne of Jesus Christ. Amen? Uh, Back when Abraham Lincoln was the president of the United States, a soldier was outside the White House and he was sitting on the bench and he was just sobbing. He was just crying. And there, something was wrong. He, he needed to get in. He wanted, he, only the president. And a little boy walked up to him and, and asked me, he said, hey, mister, he said, what's the matter? What's, what's wrong with you? And the man said, I need to see President Lincoln, but I can't get through. I can't get through the gate. I can't get through the guards. They won't let me in. I'm just a common guy. But only the president can solve my problem. The little boy took the man by the hand and led him past the gate, led him past the guards, led him right into the Oval Office and said, Dad, this man needs to talk to you. You see, when you know the son, he cuts through a lot of stuff that you're going through in your life, but it's only because you know the son and you now have a boldness to enter into the very presence of God. Don't let anything hold you back. One of the reasons we stay discouraged is because we don't take advantage of the access that we have been given to. Are you here today, you're discouraged, depressed, down, whatever other D word you want to use there, and you're saying, I don't know what to do. Start there. Boldly enter in. I wish things would change. Boldly enter into his presence. If you want to see something change in your family, in your life, in your job, the next season, whatever it is, uh, boldly enter into the presence of God. So that begs the question, are you spending time in his presence? I want change in my life, and you're just waiting for God to do all the work, but he's saying, I'm waiting for you to come into my presence. Boldly enter in and watch what God will do. I know the world isn't fair. I know that life will treat you this way and then that one day and then that way the next, but when you come into the presence of God, it changes not the world, but it changes you in the midst of the world that you're in. See, God wants us to boldly come. If you want to connect with Jesus, he said, I've opened up a way for everyone who has come to faith alone. He says, I want to connect with you. Do you remember the the TV show Cheers? We want to go, where everybody knows your name. Remember that? You know, now you're going to have that tune stuck in your head all day. You know, in that show Cheers, they always had a happy hour. You know why they had a happy hour? Because they weren't happy at work. They weren't happy at home. So they'd create an hour where they could all get together that were unhappy and have something in common and call it happy hour. See, you don't need people to drink. You can drink by yourself. So that's not why they were getting together. They, 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 they go not to drink alone. They want to be in an environment where there's somebody else that's doing what I'm doing, thinking what I'm thinking, feeling what I'm feeling, so that we can somehow... I can try to lift myself out of this funk, but you don't need that environment to do it. You need to be in the presence of Jesus. You need to boldly come into the throne room of Jesus Christ. He says, then you can access me. And then number two, the second key is this, and then draw near regardless of how you feel. Are you here today and you're sad, brokenhearted? Draw near to him. Are you here today and you're feeling like all hope is lost? Draw near to him. Are you here today and you're angry, mad, even mad at God? It's okay to be mad at God as long as you come to him and say, this is why, help me understand. I don't understand 
the emotions and the feelings I'm having. But when you boldly enter into the presence of God, make sure you're, you, do, you draw near. Don't let your feelings hold you back, I guess is what I'm saying, because you'll find something uh, very interesting. You'll find, you'll find out what God has to say. And a lot of times when we don't feel valued, you'll learn how valuable you really are. I remember as a teenager, there, there was many times in my life where I kind of would get in a funk, you know, and I was just feeling like I made so many wrong decisions. How can God ever forgive me? I'm not worthy. I'm not valuable, you know. And I wasn't necessarily having a pity party, but looking back on it, you know, maybe it was a little bit. I don't know. But, but it was truly how I felt. And in our home, we had our home. When I, when I was a kid, I grew up, mom and dad uh, had these pictures around the house. And I remembered one picture that one night I was laying in bed and I remembered, you know, this picture because I passed it in the hallway all the time. Let me show it to you up here. You guys remember this picture? It was pretty familiar and around a lot. And it was just, I, I forget what it was called. It, it was the parable of the sun or either way, I don't, it didn't really matter what it was titled. What I, what I always remembered was Jesus hugging his son. And I remember laying in my bed thinking, I don't feel worthy of it, but I really would like one of them hugs, you know. And I, I can't say that it was that I necessarily boldly entered in. As a matter of fact, I felt like I was distant, which is why I wanted the hug. And I remember, now I don't mean this in any kind of weird mystical sense, but I remember laying there in bed and feeling as if God was just holding me right there. Just like when, uh, you know, somebody gives me a hug and I can feel their arms and their presence is there. I didn't feel it necessarily physically, but man, it was just, I sensed the presence of the Holy Spirit as if God were giving me a hug. And I remember breaking down and, and crying because my life was a mess at that point. And, but that's not why I was crying. I was crying because in the middle of my mess, Jesus still showed up and said, Jim, you are valuable. I don't know, I, I don't know, you know where your moment is at, but I know Jesus is waiting to give you a, a hug, if you will, and let you know how valuable you are. That's why you draw near him regardless of how you feel. Boldly enter in, but then make sure you don't let feelings hold you back. The Bible says that if you draw near to him, he'll do what? He'll draw near to you. If you're discouraged, the temptation will be this. It will be to shrink away, to back off, to back up. Jesus says, if you're discouraged, draw near. Don't, don't take off. Don't go away from me. As a matter of fact, that's the time to draw near to God is when things are falling apart. The time you don't feel like making contact with heaven, that's the time to make contact with heaven. I know you don't feel it sometimes, and that's why you can't let your feelings dictate your actions. Because the moment you do, your feelings are going to lead you astray. And so he tells us, I want you to draw near, regardless of how you feel. Verse 22 said, let us draw near with a sincere heart, full of assurance of faith. So he calls us to boldly enter into his presence and to draw near. But then number three, write this down. He says, then hold fast and don't throw in the towel. Hold fast. Don't quit, in other words. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Verse 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. And that's what we're all looking for, isn't it? Hope. He says, it'll give us a hope. And it says, without wavering. Don't, don't be wishy-washy. Hold fast to your confession and follow Jesus Christ. Not just the, don't be just a believer in Christ. Be a follower of Christ because they're two different things, right? Is that, is that true? 
You can believe in Jesus, but my question is, is do you follow him? I can believe there's a McDonald's, but what I really enjoy doing is following and going and getting the food and getting fed. There's a lot of people today that believe there is a Jesus or there's a God, but they're not following him. And he says, that's what makes all the difference in the world. We must hold fast, draw near, boldly enter in, make sure that we draw near and hold fast to our confession in Jesus Christ. God's word is good, even when it doesn't look like it, even when it doesn't feel like it, even when it doesn't sound like it. God's word is good. We, we, we said it before, uh, you know, year, it's been years, but it, we, we kind of, I don't want to call it a cliche, but we would say, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Now that's true, right? Right? Okay. But there's a difference between declaring the truth and just saying it because it's a sing-songy thing to say. You know what I mean? God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And we say, da 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 We get our little dance going on, right? But when the rubber hits the road and you're the one that's in despair, you need to know that God is good all the time. And in every situation that you go through in your life, God will be faithful to his word. Now, here's the problem. The problem is not in the promises of God, but there is a gap between the promises of God and God's fulfillment of the, pro of the promise. And we don't know how long that gap is. When God promises something based on his word, he's good for it. Can I get a big amen? Okay, so if he promises it and says he'll do it, it's a done deal. But the problem you and I have, or maybe I'll, ju I'll just use myself, the problem I have is this. I don't like the gap in the middle. You said, and it's been 15 years and I don't see anything yet, right? There's this gap, and we don't like the gap. See, he gave you the promise, but he didn't tell you when it's going to be fulfilled, and therein lies the problem. And if you shrink back rather than draw near in that season because you're discouraged, well, all you've done is lengthen the time to get from the promise to the fulfillment. Some of us have seen God break through in a matter of moments, and sometimes for others it, seems, it feels like it's decades. But as a Christian, there's only two ways that you can go, backward or forward. There is no neutral. There's no Switzerland in the kingdom of God, okay? When a swimmer swims, they are going one of two directions, forward or they're being led by the current. And, and you can say, no, they're, I mean, they can tread water and stand still. They're, they're, not, they're not standing still or swimming still. You're either swimming forward or when you tread water, you're being led by the current, wherever the current wants to take you. You're at the mercy of it. And as Christians, you and I, we have two directions. We can either progress forward or we can just let the world tell us where we're going to go and let it tell us what's going to happen. You can be blocking, literally, the promises of God because your discouragement keeps moving you away from him, from his promises. But God is faithful. God does not lie. Well, why is it we have to move forward then? Well, because not only is God preparing his promise, but he's developing our character. If God gave you a promise, and that promise has not come to pass yet, and you're discouraged, and you're frustrated, he says, don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Don't quit because I'm developing you in the midst of it. And I know, I know if that's you, you're like, I'm done. I'm, I'm there. I'm ready. And I know you believe that and you think that. But apparently it's not so yet. 
And who do you think knows better, God or you? Well, we all know the answer is supposed to be God, but we all act like it's us, you know? I, at least I have. And that's when I short-circuit some things that God wants to do. See, we want the promise of God without the character that's being developed in that gap season. You know, we all want prom good things for our kids. Can we agree with that? Parents, you want good things for your kids? Just say yeah. <laughs> um, every good thing you want for your kid, though, should they get it when they want it? No. Well, how can you say that? I, you know, I can say it for this reason. Okay, parents, would you like to see your kids grow up and be able to drive a car and hold down a job? Well, most of us would say, yes, would love that for my kids. So, your kid at five years old, are you going to toss them the keys? No. Why? Because a five-year-old can't get licensed. A five-year-old is not going to get insured. A five-year-old can't see over the dashboard. A five-year-old can't drive. Therefore, they are not ready for the promises that you desire for them in their life. There is something that has to be developed. And so it is in the kingdom of God. When God gives you a promise, it will come to pass. But there's some, some character that's being developed in the midst of that. And we have to wait on the Lord. Therein lies another problem. We don't like to wait. Anyone here like to wait? The only time I like to wait is when I'm at the dentist's office and other people are going in front of me. <laughs> After you, <laughs> you can go before me. Please feel free. But eventually, I got to go in there, right? We, we don't like to wait. But yet, it's those that wait upon the Lord, they renew their strength, the Word of God tells us. See, in spite of everything that's going on in our lives, he says, wait on the best that I have for you and make sure that you hold fast. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. And while you're doing that, number four, fourth key is this. Get involved in strengthening other believers. Straight from the word of God. I'm not just bringing this up like, this sounds like a good idea. Why don't we, well, I don't know, strengthen other people. The, the word of God says this. He says, when you feel like giving up, quitting, and throwing in the towel, he says, let us consider how to stimulate, or here's a better word, encourage one another to love and good works. How, now he introduces this principle of motivation or encouraging. He knows we're subject to discouragement in life because there's evil in the world. There's sin in the world. So we, we are subject to discouragement. So he says to the church, church, he says part of your job is to consider, or a better word there would be plan, on how you're going to stimulate, encourage, motivate believers to keep going. Here's one of the main reasons you should come to church and join a church. I think everything we do online is great. I think it's phenomenal to be able to reach on platforms like we have. But nothing replaces the going to church for this reason. One of the main reasons you should come to church or join a church is not just necessarily for the singing. I, I, I think Michael does a, and the team does a phenomenal job. But you shouldn't just, just come for that. You shouldn't just come for the preaching, which I hope is okay and you know, pretty good for you guys and you get something out of it. But he says you don't just, just come for the singing and just come for the preaching, but he says you come so that you can encourage one another, motivate one another. It's about, it's about, it's about us. In other words, it's not from so much, though it includes it, from the pulpit to the pew, it's from the pew to the pew. As I did in first service, I went, pew, pew. <laughs> you got to remember it that way. 
It's about what's happening here. It's about what happens when in another uh, three hours when I get done preaching and I shut my iPad. I'm just messing with you. And, but when I get done, it's what happens after that. It's about connecting. And just as a side note, we are going to be doing membership class, class service week, whatever, in three, four, five weeks or so. We're going to have more information for you on that because it's so important to connect so that we can encourage one another. He says, make sure it's happening from pew to pew, not just from pulpit to pew, though that's included. One believer motivating another believer. He says, I want you to think about how you're going to motivate, encourage one another. How many of you all had a cup of coffee this morning? Let me see you coffee drinkers, okay? You had a cup of coffee this morning to stimulate you, to wake you up. Uh, Now the question is, is how are you going to take that same thought process and help others wake up? Help others get motivated. You see, everybody ought to be in one of two categories, and it, it should be like a revolving door. You should either be an encourager or an encouragee, and that's it, one of those two. And don't remain in one forever. Well, I'll let people encourage me, and I'll just stay here, and I'll take from people. No, it says be encouraged, but also be an encourager. Learn what it means to give. You either, you need to have that as an operating cylinder, if you will, in your life. Consider how to motivate one another to love and good deeds. Cheerleaders. Uh, do we have any cheerleaders in the house? You're a high school cheerleader, and um, your job was to cheer the team on despite the score on the board, right? You didn't cheer according to the score. If you're winning, you know, uh, you're all pom-poms in the air doing cartwheels. Or if they were getting beat, you just sat down and went, losers. (laughs) you, You didn't do that, right? Your job was to cheer them on in spite of what was going on because that's what a cheerleader does. They encourage is, is what they're doing. The job of a cheerleader is to encourage them. Nobody needs people on the sideline telling them how bad they're doing. Chances are we usually, usually know that. You need somebody who on your worst day is still on your side cheering you on. They're there for you. Uh, they're not there for your performance. The greatest cheerleader, by the way, should be found in the, in the house of God. That's where the greatest cheerleader should be found. Not because they agree necessarily with the performance, but because they're supporting the person. That's what it's about. Because we want to see a reversal of the score on the board, change the scenario, move the momentum. We want to see a change. So there ought to be somebody who's cheering out there. You ought to be somebody that's encouraging somebody else. Well, pastor, I'm going through a really dark time and I'm having a season where it's just difficult. I'm not downplaying that. But in the midst of it, start encouraging somebody else and watch how some light will begin to shine in your dark place. How all of a sudden there'll be a hope that arises because you're giving and not just looking to get. You become an encourager and you become encouraged along the way. Encourage just simply means this. It means to come alongside and help, to strengthen, to support. Why? Why do we need to do that? Because people are going back. That's why Hebrews wrote that book, because people were going backwards or wanting to give up. And they thought they could do that. You see, there, there must be in our church, any church, by the way, any church system, uh, any church family, there should be a system at work where believers are encouraging other believers to keep going, to keep on going, to not give up, even when they don't feel like it, because only by drawing near to the Lord 
will you experience the promise of the Lord, God's fulfillment of that promise. You know, when a mom uh, is teaching a baby to walk, moms, you remember when baby started to walk? What happened is they wiggle around on the floor and they'd stand up and they'd get on the couch and they'd stand and they'd have those like noodle legs, you know? They're doing this and they're just smiling. They're all excited. Boom, they'd hit that diaper on the floor, boom. And all of a sudden they'd start to walk, right? And you put your fingers out and you go, come on, come on, you got it. And they take one step, you know, and it's one of those, one of those kind of steps, you know. And then came the point when you had to let go. And that's the hard part. You let go. And then you get in front of them as they're standing there. You got it. And what are you doing? You're cheering them on. You're encouraging them, right? Come on, you got it. You got it. Come on, baby. Come on, you got it. And they get all excited. So excited they fall over, boom, and hit the ground. When they hit the ground, do you walk over and say, you loser, you're never going to walk. No, moms don't do that. Most dads don't. (laughs) Now, what do you do when a kid falls down and you're trying to teach them to walk? You get them back up, and maybe they cried, maybe not, who knows, but you always get them back up. You say, you can do this. You got this. Come on. Come on. You got this. You can do it. There you go. And you cheer them on. In the same way, we are to be doing that with the body of Christ. We are to be doing that to the people that we are, surra- that are surrounding us. Now, having said that, I'm not saying to go to Walmart today and find the nearest stranger and say, come on, come on, buddy, you can do it. You know, don't be weird. Don't be creepy. But be real. It doesn't take long to find somebody in need. We've got a community full of it. We've got a church all of it. You find somebody in need and you encourage them along the way and, and thus complete what it means to encourage one another. And you're not only building them up, but you're building yourself up because there's a lot of people out there that are struggling. Isn't that true? There's a lot of things. And we, here's what we do. We allow shame and guilt to cover all the things that we're doing. We try to cover that up. I don't want people to know that I have bad habits. I don't want people to know I look at pornography. I don't want people to know that my attitude's horrible. I don't want people to yeah, fill in the blank. And what those people need is people that love Jesus and love you to come alongside and say, you got this. You can let that addiction go. You can let that, you, you don't have to look at that to find the joy. I've got the real joy. You've got this. Come on. And you come alongside of them, and you walk them out of, that comes out of a spirit of encouragement, which requires our involvement. And that's why we're called in the Word of God to encourage one another. We must encourage one another. We live in a selfish generation, a generation that says, what's in it for me? What's in it? What what am I going to get out of this? What's my blessing going to be? And not, not, not that there's anything wrong with finding out what you're going to get out of something or, you know, what, what you do the work, you're going to get paid, but, but I'm talking about the heart of encouragement that says, how can I bless another? Who, who crosses my path this week? As a matter of fact, that's going to be my challenge, if you will, my homework, if you will. I want you to find, it shouldn't be hard to find one person that you can encourage this week. It shouldn't be that hard to find one person you can encourage today, but intentionally encourage them. You got this. It isn't as bad as it looks. Can I pray for you? You know, you, you got to be real. You got to know them. You got to be in the moment. You got to hear the Holy Spirit. You don't want to say something that's not true. You don't want to say something you don't mean. But that's why you draw, that's why we started with number one. Boldly come into his presence and draw near regardless how you feel. Because then 
you'll know exactly what to say to encourage somebody else and strengthen them as another believer. Now, if you're going to be a cheerleader for somebody, you have to know the cheer, right? You can't just start making stuff up. Two, four, six, eight, who do we appreciate? That's generic. V-I-C-T-O-R-Y, that's the Kotod battle cry. Yeah. You can't make up stuff. You've got to know what the promises of God are. You've got to know how the cheer goes. So that's why you get into the Word of God. Joshua 1.8, you can tell people, have I not commanded you? Be strong. Be courageous. You can speak that into their life. You can tell them, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. You can tell them that you can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens you. You see, now you know the cheer because you've drawn near to God. You can't be making up your own stuff. You need to know what the Word of God says. Not just what the word of self says. And, you, and then you speak truth and love. Remember a couple weeks ago, last week or the week before? Uh, like a field goal post. The, the kicker knocks it right through the middle. That's the goal. Well, if we look at this as speaking the truth in love, our goal is to do both. Don't just speak the truth without love. Don't just speak love without truth. Speak the truth in love and meet them where they're at. That's the standard that God has called us to. Because when people are in a hole, and they're discouraged. You know what they need? They need a rope. They need to know how to get out of that hole. They need to know how to get out of that situation. That's what they're looking for. And here's the last key, and we'll, we'll wind it down. Number five, remember that we are to give and receive hope through encouragement. You and I are called to give and to receive hope through encouragement. Romans 15.4 says, For whatever was written in the earlier times was written for our instruction, so that... Uh, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we, we might have hope. And that's what we're looking for, isn't it? Hope. Romans 15, 5 says, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be the, of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. Uh, verse 6, So that with one accord you may be with one voice and glorify God. It's all about that oneness it has there. I want you to... It, hear the heart of Hebrews here when he says we are to encourage one another. Encouragement is designed to give hope. Hebrews 3.13 says, but exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Today simply means this, right now, in this moment, while the pastor's preaching and words are coming out of his mouth, in this moment, today, he says, exhort one another encourage one another because that's the promise. And I know some here today, as I've already said, maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what? I'm single and I'm tired of waiting for a spouse. You're feeling discouraged or I'm tired of waiting for my kid to come back home. Whether that means physically or, I, I don't know, spiritually or relationally. I'm tired of waiting for God to bless my career. I'm tired of waiting for things to have to go the, the, you know, go always just be changing in my life. You're tired today, and maybe you're thinking of going back. The author who wrote Hebrews says, don't go back. Don't go there. It may look sweet, but don't go back there. In fact, the worse you feel, the more you should draw near to God. I'll close with this. 1996 was the Olympics in Atlanta, Georgia, and the American gymnast were looking to take the gold. They were a few points away, and a girl by the name of Carrie Shrugs was up for her events. In order to get the gold, 
Carrie Shrugs had two runs at this, okay? And she needed a 9.5 to win the gold. She was the last person to, to vault. She, as I said, had two jumps left. And on the very first one, she ran and she put that down there to do the vault. But when she landed, she twisted her ankle. And she messed it up really bad. She was in a lot of pain. She was hurt to the point where she was crying, tears coming down her face. Everyone watching on TV, everyone in the gymnasium just thought, there it goes. All hope is lost. All hope is lost. And the coach went over to her, bandaged up her, her leg, checked her all out, took care of it, looked at her. But then he looked her dead in the eye and he said, you can do this. You know that, right? She said, but how? She said, my ankle, it's already black and blue and it's swelling up. And he said, I know. And I know it hurts. He said, but you can do this. He said, I know you're in pain. And I'm not even necessarily saying you have to, but I'm telling you, I want you to know you can do this. And she looked at him and had a moment where she had to think that through. She says, I don't know. Do you really think so? I know you can do this, he said, Carrie. I believe that in spite of everything that's going on, you can do this. Don't look at your ankle, the coach said. You look at me. Don't look at the pain that's going on in the inside. He said, you look at me. I'll be over in the corner and you fix your eyes on me. So with that, she went over to her starting position and she was limping a little bit as she went up there. She looked down, but she didn't look at the vault that was so high. She didn't look at the distance she had to run. She didn't look at the ankle that was swelling up. She looked at her coach over in the corner. And as she looked over there, the coach kept looking back at her and said, you've got this. I believe in you. I know you're hurting, but you can do this. Don't throw in the towel. And he kept screaming that. And so she, all of a sudden she took off like a bolt of lightning and just ran through the pain, put the vault down, went up and over, stuck the position perfectly, and then immediately grabbed her leg and fell into a pile, right? But because she did it so perfect, they scored her with a 9.6, which got America or USA the gold medal. It was all said and done. And a reporter went over and asked her, she said, how did you do that? Because we all saw your ankle bend a direction that wasn't intended to bend. And she said, the only way I could do it was by keeping my eyes on my coach. As long as I stopped looking at the pain and kept my eyes on my coach, I was able to do what I never thought was able or possible. I'm here to tell you today that the book of Hebrews is writing to you and to me. And he's saying, look unto Jesus, because he's the author and the finisher of faith. He's your coach here today. You may be going through a difficult season, but Jesus is in your corner. And he's saying, keep your eyes on me. You got this. You can do this. Keep your eyes on Jesus, and he will make a way. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I pray today that, Lord, we can leave this place knowing that we've not only heard your word, and the promises that were given. But Lord, we're asking for opportunity now as well to be able to encourage somebody this day, this week. Lord, would you give us eyes to see the opportunities that you open up? Would you give us ears to hear a conversation maybe that, not eavesdropping, but we hear of somebody that's in need. And we know that we have the ability to come alongside. Will you show us those places in spite of how we feel, in spite of where we're at. Lord, as a matter of fact, I'm asking that when we're in our most difficult places, will you remind us to serve, to edify, and to encourage? Because it's only then that we experience that true healing from the inside out. So Lord, show us that, we ask today in your name.
Amen.